we do not eat, and no better off if we do. Only take care, lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. <laughs> For if anyone sees you, a man of knowledge, at table in an idol's temple, might he not be encouraged? If his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols, and so by your knowledge this weak man is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, the sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of my brother's falling, I will not eat meat, lest I cause my brother to fall. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Peace be to you, the reader. St. Matthew, let us be attentive. Glory to you, Lord, glory to you. The Lord said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand, but the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it not to the one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Peace be to you who proclaims the gospel. Glory to you, Lord. Glory to you, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Surprise. <laughs> it's good to see all of you. Um, I thank God for the opportunity to, to be with you today. And uh, what brought Presbyter and I here is our uh, my dear friend and our beloved Deacon Innocent and uh, his 15 years of faithful service, which we will acknowledge and have time to, to speak about a little bit uh, later on the day uh, at the luncheon. But um, I figured, you know, he's been to enough of our events. It's about time that we come to one of his and to recognize that. So it's a, it's a real honor to be up here uh, today over this uh, brief trip here this weekend. The uh, the kondakion that we we chanted just uh, a few minutes ago is is fairly descriptive, you could say, and it brought to mind a, an icon that I once saw on Mount Athos at the monastery of Kserpotamu, and I think I've mentioned this to you before. It's a it's a it's a large icon that's actually painted on the exterior wall of the church itself, but it's under a, a covering and sort of a little patio area. That's covered there, and I remember uh, looking at this icon. This was back in 1989. I remember looking at this icon and just looking at how graphic it was. I had never seen an icon so graphic. I mean, typically we see uh, these beautiful uh, faces of the saints or certain scenes in in, in biblical history, etc. But this one was the most graphic icon that I had seen, and it was uh, Christ. Uh, sitting on the judgment seat and there was this river of blood that, uh, or they refer to it here, this river of fire, but there was this river of, of blood that was flowing down and emptying into the mouth of a, a large beast which represented Hades. And uh, there were bodies in the water, and sometimes you'd see a hand sticking out or a leg or part of another part of the body kind of flowing down uh, this river 
river of, of, of fire and this river of blood into the mouth of, uh, of Hades. Uh, and then there were others, of course, who were uh, not a part of that. They were actually um, um, in, in paradise. And so they were there and the thief was there who first was in, the first one to enter paradise. And then, of course, there was a whole long line of people just waiting to be judged. Now, that's for us to understand in terms of the judgment because we were taught in our church that the judgment happens at uh, the blink of an eye. We're not going to be, you know, God knows we've stood in enough lines in this world. <laughs> that in itself would be hell, I think, to wait in line for millions of people to be judged. But uh, it's the idea that everybody is going to have to stand before Christ one day. And so the Kondakion uh, today reads... When thou, O God, will come to earth with glory, and all things tremble, and the river of fire floweth before the judgment seat, and the books are opened, and the hidden things made public, then deliver me from the unquenchable fire, and deem me worthy to stand at thy right hand, O most righteous judge. So in addition to this river of fire, we have these books. And the books uh, are, uh, they, they contain uh, our life pretty much our whole life and, and, and especially uh, not only our sins but also the good things that we have done by the grace of God the, and, and so as I was reading this and I was looking at even the hymns last night from Vespers I thought to myself this is such a shift from the last few Sundays, especially last Sunday when we celebrated the prodigal son. And I was thinking about that parable, and of course there, there's a lot within that parable, and you've heard many homilies and, uh, and whatnot uh, on that parable. But the one thing that it ends with is how merciful and kind and compassionate and loving God is. And the, the, the teaching behind that is no matter what sin you've committed, if you repent of that and you're sorry for it, God will embrace you and love you and forgive you. And that's great, because that brings a lot of joy to us. That, that brings a lot of um, a sense of uh, ease, if you will. The, the, when we carry around sins, uh, it, they're, they're tremendous burdens to us. And if we, we conceal them out of shame, it creates even a more, more of a burden for us. And so when he speaks about here, the hymnographer of these books that contain the sins, these are the sins that we keep secret, that we're even ashamed and afraid to confess in confession. And if we do that, that's what's going to be made public. So this is why, and we can see how all of these themes in the, in the pre-Lenten journey here are sort of woven together, it is much better to bear some shame here and now when I go to confession and confess my sins than to wait until that day when the books are opened and they're made public before the whole world. Because I just have to make it public before a priest. And I'll take that over millions of people at the judgment seat of Christ. So it's, it's a hard thing to do, but it's the best thing and it's the right thing to do. So they, they speak about this. And of course, as in all of the hymns, even in the, uh, I think it was the Doxasticon from Vespers last night, it talked about my darkened soul and, and my treachery and my wretchedness and, and on and on. And, and you're just reading this and you're like, oh my gosh. And then, as all the hymns do in the church... But you, O most compassionate and loving God, please have mercy upon me and forgive me. So we always conclude with that. We always conclude with that. 
So, as I was thinking about uh, some things to say this morning, it was it was really interesting to me to see how the church presents us with these themes, and especially last Sunday with the prodigal son, and how loving and compassionate and merciful God our Father is with us when we decide to make that return. Not that he's not that way when we don't, but he runs toward us and he embraces us when we move towards him through our repentance. And this brings us a lot of hope and a lot of joy. And then today we have this theme of the judgment seat of Christ. And this is heavy stuff. This is not easy to listen to. If you were to go through and just look at the hymns today, they're not, they're not easy to read. So now, now we have this sense like, wow, well, is my soul really in the right state? Or uh, is this going to be me? Am, am, am I going to miss something? Or am I going to end up on the wrong side at judgment seat? And, and uh, you know, it, it can create a little bit of anxiety in us, a little bit of worry. And maybe we feel a sense of guilt or a sense of shame uh, in regards to all of this. But it's interesting because it's, it's sort of like playing with our emotions. It's like giving us all this joy and love and forgiveness and say, but don't forget this part. This is, what, this is going to be nasty stuff. This is going to be really, really hard to deal with. So we have to sort of uh, work with that and balance that. And, and someone asked me uh, recently, is it better to think about the judgment seat of Christ or is it better to think about the mercy and love and compassion of God? Which one should I spend more time thinking about? And I said, don't worry about how much time you think about either one. I said, That's, that shouldn't be your focus anyway. Because if you think more about the judgment seat of Christ, then the chances are you could fall into depression. You could become hopeless. But if you think too much about just the love and mercy and kindness of God all the time, which that feels good and, and that, 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 that there's, there's a lot of benefit to that, the fathers say we could become really careless too in our, in our way of life. And, and the time that's allotted to us to work on our souls and, and cleansing our souls through repentance, we could just end up squandering that time. So they say that there, there has to be a balance in here. And for me, the balance happens naturally because the church brings it to us. Today, the church brings to us the, the Judgment Sunday and the, and the Second Coming and all of those things. We don't necessarily have to go searching for those. Just like the church brings to us the mercy and compassion and love of God when we read Scripture, when we he, re, uh, hear the hymns, uh, at different times we experience it through people. These things just happen naturally. So, as I was saying to this individual, don't worry about your split of time in terms of how much you spend thinking about God's judgment because he wants to know what's going to be most beneficial. And I'll say, and I told him, I said, this is what I think is most beneficial to you. Focus your time and your attention and your effort on building up your relationship with Christ. Those things will take care of themselves. They will just happen. They're going to happen naturally. And as I was speaking to him, I happened to be reading uh, a book... Another one of Father Zacharias's book, one that's a little bit more uh, recent, called The Engraving of Christ on Man's Heart. And when I read this little section, I said to myself, this summarizes exactly what I was trying to share with this, with this young man. So I want to share it with you this morning. Because the church is going to present us with all these beautiful themes, and they can evoke certain motions in us and so forth. But really our focus needs to be constantly and continuously in developing our relationship with our Lord. And here's what Father Zacharias has to say. 
When we follow the Lord, we have only one care, and that is to please Him and to thank Him in all that we do. But we must first establish a true relationship with Him. We must cultivate the humility of the publican and the determined repentance of the prodigal son. So these are two critical ingredients, humility and repentance. These two ingredients are the catalyst for cultivating our relationship with Christ. He goes on, each man's relationship with God is going to be very unique. My relationship with God is going to be different than deacons and fathers and and all of you. Because we are different. For God has created each in such a way that his or her particular relationship to their creator will fulfill and perfect them. He must therefore make it his only mission, his only mission and purpose to build a strong relationship with Christ and to be in constant dialogue with him. Hence the Jesus prayer as one example. But there are many ways that we can be in constant dialogue. Then he says something else that's very profound because now we're just, we're just talking about our relationship with Christ and how we are to build that, what the ingredients are, and that the fact that it has to be a constant dialogue. He then goes on to say, all our human relationships, all our other human relationships will derive strength from this relationship with God. And we will begin to see everything, every element of the created world in light of this relationship. This is how profound and important this relationship is in terms of building it with our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it will affect every single thing in our life. The way we see every other person, the way we interact in every single relationship, and the way that we see everything in the world. It it gives us this, this vision of things that go through the eyes of Christ. And this is why it's so paramount. And if we make it our concern to improve our relationship with Him, deep repentance will spring forth within us. And the more we grow in Christ, the more clearly we will know our own poverty. And our inspiration will always be renewed. We will fear nothing, because nothing will be able to separate us from His love. These are the products that come out of such a relationship. He goes on to say, In the world to come, we will continue the relationship with our Savior which we began to build in this life. So the relationship we build now with Christ, the amount of time we spend with Him in dialogue, in reading, in prayer will continue in the same way in the life to come. And he says, we will be judged according to our love for him. So don't you think it's important that we start cultivating that love for him here and now? If that's not going to be extended for all eternity, don't you think that's an important thing to start now? Because if we wait until the end, we will never give our time to, to cultivate that. So what are we going to be left with? He says, We will be judged according to our love, according to each word of Christ contained in the gospel. Just as he asked Peter after his resurrection, Do you love me? So in the age to come, he will ask each and every one of us the very same question, and we too will reply, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
But listen to this. But the strength and the boldness of our reply will depend entirely on the depth of our relationship with the person of Christ that we had cultivated here and now. To say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, it will have a huge spectrum of weight. On one end, it could be just barely coming off the lips because maybe we're not really sure and that has very, very little weight to it. On the other end of that spectrum, it carries all the weight of our being, of our heart and mind and soul, because we had cultivated that relationship with Christ so deeply in our time here, that when we say it, it has such force and power. Yes, Lord, of course you know that I love you. I have given my heart and my mind and my time and my life to you while I was in this world. Nothing usurped that. Nothing held greater importance in my life. It wasn't my work. It wasn't even my own family. It wasn't some hobby. Nothing took greater precedence except for my heart with you. And he says that, but the strength and the boldness of our reply will depend entirely on the, on the depth of our relationship with the person of Christ that we created here. Whatever attitude we adopt in this life, he says, will continue beyond the grave. So as we, as we think about all these beautiful uh, themes of our, of our, of our faith uh, as we approach Great Lent, and as we also think about Great Lent in general, I, I remember it wasn't too long ago that when Great Lent came around, I was sort of excited, but I was also kind of dreading it. I was like, oh God, this whole fasting thing again. You know, I really don't want to give up some of this stuff. Well, let's be honest, right? I'm trying to be honest. I'm trying to be transparent with you, so... <laughs> But it's hard. And then we really think about, like, the fasting part. Or I remember a a few years I was thinking, you know what, I'm going to really do it this year. In fact, I'm only going to eat two meals the first week because that's what it says in the the Lenten Triodion. One meal on Wednesday after uh, uh, pre-sanctified and another meal on Friday after pre-sanctified. And it's settled foggy. It's only dry eating. It's no cooked meal, nothing else. No water, no nothing. And you know what? I did it and I was proud I did it. But I tell you what happened after that. (laughs) Well, you probably know. I crashed. Because pride always cometh before the fall. But it was my goal. I wanted to see, I wanted to show that I could do it. And I was proud of it. And I would kind of drop hints to people here and there that I was doing this, you know. Right? I was proud of that. And then, and then one year I said, I just want to go to all the services. And I want to be able to say that I went to all the services. And I went to all the Holy Week services. And, and that was the same, the same issue. And then it dawned on me one year that I was pursuing things as ends in themselves. Not as means to develop a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Which is what I was supposed to be doing with all that stuff. So I wasn't fasting for the sake of fasting just so I could say I did it. But I was fasting because I was learning that if I could deny myself, I could actually pick up my cross and follow Christ and be obedient. And that through obedient, there's a lot of grace. And ultimately, that brought me to a closer place with my Lord, which is what I wanted to do. So we have to really put all these things in perspective. And so I would just say to all of you, as you begin yet another, and for some of you it may be your first or second or third Great Lent, depending on how new you are to the church, and for others it may be your 60th or 70th. But I would say to you, really take this time, that in all that you do according to the church, fasting and services and all that, do it all for the purpose of deepening your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Because ultimately, as Father Zachariah says, what we begin here will go on for all eternity. And I hope and pray that we can take a deep, deep love for him into the kingdom of heaven. Amen.